This is the Iowa State Athletics Sidecast. I'm John Walters. Today's Sidecast is a visit with former Iowa State swimming All-American Karen Grove, arguably the most decorated swimmer in Cyclone history. Growth set four school records before reaching the Olympic trials in 1984. This September she'll be inducted into the Iowa State Athletics Hall of Fame. We hope you'll enjoy our visit with Karen Grove. Well, Karen, tell me your reaction when you learned that you were going to be inducted into the Iowa State Athletics Hall of Fame. I was actually shocked because I had a friend reach out and say, I think you're going to be in the Hall of Fame this year. And I said, funny, because... I, you know, I didn't stay in Iowa, and it's, swimming isn't as big of a sport, and I just was shocked and, and kind of humbled because there's a lot of really great athletes that have gone through Iowa State, and so to be included in the Hall of Fame is awesome. Tell me about how you originally came to Iowa State. You were from the St. Louis area, I believe, Baldwin, Missouri. How did you end up choosing Iowa State? How did you end up here? When I was in high school, it was back in the day before the internet, before recruiting was all digital, and I had an older sister that was a swimmer, one year older, and my dad had tried to get her a scholarship, tried to get some college coaches interested, and it was just a lot harder than you had to send tapes and try and get them to come watch a meet. And so he had made probably some mistakes with my sister. When it, so when it came to me, he sent he sent letters to all the college teams that had swim teams, and I was pretty good in high school, but I wasn't great. Like Missouri in my event was probably 39th out of the 50 states. So. Some coaches wanted to offer me partial scholarships, small scholarships, and the only coach to come down and actually watch a meet was the Iowa State swim coach. He came down, and afterwards he came over to me and he said, Karen, there's two kinds of athletes, ones that swim really fast and ones that have enthusiasm. He goes, I can teach you to swim faster, but I can't teach a swimmer to have the kind of enthusiasm you've got. Well, I kind of laughed because what he was saying was, well, you're not as fast as I'd like, but... You have a lot of, you know, you have a lot of personality. I was like, I was like, okay. Sometime later that week, my dad must have talked to him, and my dad came over and said, "You're going to Iowa State." And I said, "What are you talking about?" And he goes, "You're going to Iowa State." And I go, "I'm not going to school with a bunch of pig farmers." And he said, "Oh yes, you are. It's a great school, and they're paying for you to go to school." And I was like, I had never been to the campus. I had never been to Iowa, and we signed the paperwork, and I was coming to Iowa State. And I remember the drive. My dad drove me up. He had to drop me off early for some reason because they had somewhere to be. I mean, when I think of it now, I could never drop my kid on the campus four or five days before they needed to be there. But we went to Hickory Park for lunch, and then he dropped me at the student union and said, yeah, Thanksgiving. And I remember standing by the lake crying, going, I've never been away from home. I mean, I just drove through farmland. I knew nothing about the campus. So every day until sorority rush started, I walked over to Hickory Park about lunchtime ate half my lunch, brought half back, and ate that at dinner sitting by the lake by the student union. Not knowing that campus town was, you know, right, a, right the other direction, like a short walk. So I didn't come and fall in love with the campus. It was kind of an accidental, fabulous, couldn't have turned out better kind of college selection process. It was financial, really, and it was a good school. And I tell everybody, you can be happy anywhere because I didn't even want, I mean, I didn't even really want to come to Iowa State in the beginning, and I can't imagine having gone to college anywhere else. By the way, there I do realize now that not everybody in Iowa is a pig farmer. <laughs> it was a stereotype. It was a stereotype. You know, so it turned out for the best, I think. 
Well, as it turned out, that campus, once you found your way around, wasn't too bad, was it? Oh, my God, it was gorgeous, and I felt like such an idiot. I'd almost starved to death in those four days, not knowing that there was all these good restaurants. Like, much closer walk than Hickory Park, but anyway. Well, that's a neat story, and I, that coach that recruited you was Ramsey Van Horn, and I, I read an article in the Des Moines Register where he said he thought you were an atrocious swimmer but had raw talent. Now, did you see it that way, or was he taking it a little too far there? I grew really late, so like when I started my sophomore year in high school, I was five foot one. So for a butterflyer, that's super small. And I grew like eight inches that year. So my junior year, I didn't I mean it takes a while for you to catch up with that amount of height, you know, that that fast of growth. So when he saw me swim, I was a skinny five foot ten inch, hadn't put on any muscle yet, hadn't really trained for sprinting, like I had just trained swimming. So I was probably, in his mind, atrocious. I, I mean, I, I don't know, that's a pretty strong word, but, but you know, when you're 39th out of 50, I wasn't, like, breaking records. I wasn't, and I grew another inch once I got to college. So I think he probably had some money left and was like, let's take a chance on her. She's got enthusiasm, and I'm glad he did. What was kind of the breakthrough moment for you then once you arrived on campus as you trained and you started to become faster and faster in the pool. What kind of took you to a different level? I had never lifted weights before. And, and long-distance swimmers, they tend to be a little bit leaner. They're more slow-twitch you know, muscles. Sprinters tend to be more fast-twitch. They had always just trained me hard. And at Iowa State, they applied like te- I, what I call like technology to the training. Because I have all short versus speed, I'm mostly fast-twitch fiber. So I don't recover very fast from super hard training. So the team at Iowa State, the trainers and the science people and the coaches, they figured out that I needed more recovery time after a hard set, for example. So we all got personalized training for our body types and how we handled the training. That was huge. And then he added, of course, we all lifted weights and ran. So I got more endurance. I mean, even if you don't have a lot of, you know, go for a long time, you can improve what you've got. So I I put on some muscle. I trained hard. I wasn't the fastest butterflyer on the team, so I wanted to be. So I was chasing the people that were ahead of me. And then I guess the Iowa meet in 83, December of 83, was when it all kind of came together. And I qualified for Olympic trials at that meet for 84. But so it took maybe my freshman year, I did I did pretty good. And then sophomore year, it was better. I mean, they did muscle biopsies to see if you were fast twitch or slow twitch. They tweaked the nutrition that you ate based on your body type. I mean, it was stuff I'd never been exposed to before. So that's what made the difference for me, I think. And isn't it interesting, you talked about just one of being the best butterflyer on the team. You start with that goal, and then once you accomplish that, you probably move on to, well, I want to be one of the best in the Big Eight and then nationally. And it's interesting how it kind of just takes off from there. But you got to start somewhere, right? Yeah, you, you definitely have to start somewhere. And after that meet at Iowa, every week the NCAA rankings would come out, and my name would be first. And I'd be like, he posted on the bulletin board, and I'd be like, holy crap. You know, you couldn't go online and see who, who your competition was, for example. So it was all in paper. So it was really exciting when the mail came. Like, Ooh, I'm still ranked first. It was awesome. It gave me opportunities I would have never had. If I would have gone to one of the bigger swimming schools in Texas or California, I would, I would have been on a partial, you know, small scholarship at that. And I would have probably not even competed that much. Five-time All-American and... The butterfly was your specialty. Why was that the stroke that was your strength? And and tell me kind of what the challenging aspects are of the butterfly. I was a greedy eight-year-old 
who was put in swimming because my sister was a swimmer. And I went to my first meet, and I could barely swim. I mean, I had just learned how to swim. There were 54 girls in my age group in the freestyle, and I got 54. Dead last. Barely finished the race. And I cried because my sister had a bunch of ribbons, and I didn't have any ribbons. And my dad looked at me, and he pointed, turned my head towards the pool, and there was a butterfly race going on. There were four little girls in the butterfly. And he goes, they give out eight ribbons, Karen. Even if you were dead last, you'd get a ribbon. And I was like, ding, ding, ding. I said, okay, I can be a butterfly. And it worked out pretty well. But butterfly is a challenge because a lot of people try and apply, you know, tons of muscle. And it's, uh, it's very much rhythm-based. And it's almost like a fingerprint, the way each person does butterfly. And I just was, I have long arms. I have big feet. I ended up being quite tall. So it was a good thing that when I was eight, I wanted a ribbon because it ended up being a good choice for me. I mean, I, I was out of Iowa State probably five years swimming in some hot springs in Colorado, swimming butterfly. And some man came swimming over, and he goes, are you Karen Gross? And I was like, yes. And he goes, I'd recognize that butterfly anywhere. And I was like, it was five years post-college. So the strokes are very unique to each individual person. But And, and then, of course, something I never worked on before I got to college either was starts and turns. And the sprint races are won and lost in the starts and the turns. So the Iowa State spent a lot of time improving, like, quarters of tenths of seconds. You know, how quick you do your turn, how explosive you are over the, off the start. So, you know, that's my butterfly story, I guess. You mentioned having the fastest 100 butterfly in the nation in 1984 and then going on to the U.S. Olympic trials. I mean, that had to be just a tremendous experience and a wow moment for you in your career. What's that poem? It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. <laughs> um, I trained super hard. I was one of the top people going in to the meet. But I had done a specific kind of training where I would swim as fast and hard as I could without breathing to try and build up my endurance. And at Olympic trials, I did that. I didn't take enough breaths the first 50. And so even though they were, the announcers in the beginning were, and it's Karen Gross, you know, on world record pace. And it was apparently to my parents quite exciting. The last 10 meters of the race, I I kept my hands in front of me, so I finished, but I didn't make I didn't make the finals, and I obviously didn't make the Olympic team because I ran. I mean, I the lactic acid buildup or whatever happens to you when you hold your breath for too long. And I I remember going in the shower, and I wouldn't come out. I would not come out because I let everybody down, and I was you know shocked, and it was terrible. And the, the coach from Texas actually came in to get me a male coach because <laughs> I wouldn't come out, and people wanted to interview me and. I remember briefly talking to a few people and then I got in the car and when you're little, your parents tell you if you work really hard and you believe in a goal and you give it all you've got, it'll come true. Well, the reality is in life, that's not always the case, right? Things happen. Because of that, I went back to school. I wasn't on the Olympic team. You know, I swam my last year. I did a fifth year in school to finish my degree and I joined the Air Force. I would have never joined the Air Force if I'd been an Olympian, I'm almost certain, so the best thing that ever happened to me was not making the Olympic team and having that failure because you learn you can survive. You don't die from embarrassment. People make mistakes and you get up and you keep going. And Iowa State helped me do that. I came back. There wasn't a big, you know, a lot of pointing fingers and things happen and you just move on. So it, when I say it was the best of times, like girls I had beaten during the year, like went on to win the gold and silver medal. And my life would be very much different. And I, I'm obviously very glad it turned out the way it did because 20 years in the Air Force, I wouldn't have the daughters I've got. I wouldn't be where I am doing what I'm doing. So, yeah, it was awesome to qualify. I remember I was giving a briefing in Korea during Desert Storm to a four-star general, and 
he said, Lieutenant, are you nervous? And I said, sir, I tried out for the Olympic team in 1984. That was nerve-wracking. You don't stress me out. And he, he started laughing, and apparently you don't talk to generals like that. I was new to the military. And, but it's very true. Like, once you've done that, everything else is easier. And you're a retired lieutenant colonel, I believe, from the Air Force. That ended up obviously being a tremendous decision for you and a great life path. How did you kind of go that direction? Was that something you had always thought in the back of your mind you might want to do, or how'd you end up pursuing the military? I don't sound like I planned very well, but it always turns out, I guess. I had graduated from college, and my dad, I moved back in into my house in St. Louis, and my dad started charging me rent, and I wanted to go to the pool and swim and just lay out and get tan and hang out with my friends, and my dad didn't think I was pursuing permanent job opportunities with enough enthusiasm, and so he made an appointment with an Air Force recruiter for me. You know, in order to stay living in the house and eating their food, I had to go see this recruiter. He thought it was going to motivate me to start sending out more resumes. Well, I love this guy. He was like the people in sports, the people I trained with. He was enthusiastic. He was really positive. He told me all these great things about the military, and I signed up. And so I came home, <laughs> and I said to my dad, he goes, so when are you going to start sending out more resumes? I'm like, I don't need to. I just joined the Air Force. He goes, what? What did you do? Um, and I said, I don't have to job hunt. I ha- I'm going to have a job. I'm going to be in the Air Force. He looked at me. And I said, I don't really like the whole interview, you know, sending out resume process. I'm just going to join the Air Force. I'm going to do four years. I'm going to go live in Europe. And he was like, Karen. Anyway, he tried to talk me out of it. I went and took all the testing, and they picked me up for officer training school. And the day I went off, it was kind of like Goldie Hawn in the Army. I mean, they put me in charge of all the enlisted folks going to basic training in San Antonio. I had like 37 people I was responsible for, and I just looked at them like, are you crazy? And we get down there and we get on our bus. I turn over the enlisted folks. I go to the officer training. It was three in the morning because our flight had been delayed. And the, the drill instructor, who is just like the TV, they have the scary hat on and they yell at you. He was yelling at me to move faster. It was three in the morning. I thought, he's lost his mind. And we went over and they handed me a bunch of sheets and pointed me to a room and said, make your bed and we'll get you in the morning. And I was like, I'm not making my bed. It's three in the morning. I laid on top of the mattress, put the sheets on the desk, and two hours later, I was running PT. And I thought, what have I done? I've made a huge mistake. I tried to call my dad and say, get me out of here. Apparently, once you sign the contract, you're kind of committed. It took me about a week to adjust, and then it was fabulous. But it was an accident. It's not something I'd always dreamed of doing. I'm not a natural um, rule follower. So the military was probably counter to my personality. But because of that, I, I really excelled in certain jobs. So I think there's a place for anybody in any situation you can choose to make it work. But, yes, it was an accidental entrance into the Air Force. Well, you, you mentioned your daughters, and I was able to read a Des Moines Register story about your daughter, Sophia, who's a, a very talented gymnast. How exciting is it to raise a couple of daughters who also like athletics? And tell me a little bit about Sophia. Well, Natalie is her older sister. I And I moved around a lot in the military, so I didn't get married. But when I was living in Europe, I adopted Natalie from Kazakhstan. At the time, she was five months old. The doctor said she would never walk. She had had a birth injury and I was like, okay, brought her home. She walked at 10 months. She runs races and does and works out. And, but she's got a rare intellect. She takes AP classes. She remembers everything she's ever heard or read. She was the easiest child ever to raise. And so I was up for promotion for lieutenant colonel. And I remember saying, you know, God, if you let me get promoted to lieutenant colonel, I'll adopt a sister for Natalie. Well, 
against all odds, I got promoted to lieutenant colonel, and I put in the paperwork for Sophia from China. When I got over to China and they handed her to me, I called my dad, who I, when everything, anything important's happening, I call him and I go, oh, dad, this one's not anything like Natalie. Natalie's very calm, very measured. Sophie was throwing baby bottles at my head on her first, I got her on her first birthday, and she couldn't roll over. They had carried her everywhere, and she was, you know, had been in an orphanage for a whole year, and when we got back, the doctor said, well, it could take her six months or a year to walk. And I was like, okay. Six weeks later, she ran across the deck. And I said, I don't know what to do with this one. She's climbing <laughs> door jams. She's like tossing herself off the sofa. I'm like, her older sister would look at her and go, what is she doing? Natalie was more content to read or to sit. So I put her in gymnastics just because she was so small, so short. And I thought, she's never going to be a swimmer. Like, you need long arms and I put her in gymnastics, and six weeks later, they put her on a team. And her first meet, they said warm-up was between 8 and 8.30, and I showed up at 8.20 with Sophia, six years old, and the coach was having a stroke. He goes, warm-up was between 8 and 8.30, and I go, oh, you don't mean show up sometime between (laughs) 8 and 8.30. He looked at me like I had lost my mind, and I was like, okay. And then after the meet, we're getting in our car, and he comes running out. He goes, there's an award ceremony. And I said, she's not going to get any awards, like, and she, of course, got a bunch of awards because there weren't any, a lot of six-year-olds doing what she was doing. So gymnastics is a whole different world. Swimming, you touch the wall, you get a time, you win or you lose. Gymnastics, five people can watch the same routine and everybody would decide it was a different four. Mm-hmm. It's frustrating for me as a swimmer, it's black and white. Gymnastics is a whole bunch of shades of gray and rainbow colors and there's so many more variables. It's been an interesting ride. She's committed to the university, to Auburn University already. She's just starting her sophomore year of high school this fall, and she committed last summer before she started high school to Auburn. I tried to convince her. We even came and took a visit at Iowa State, but I think she felt like she wanted to be a little further away from home, so I couldn't convince her that Iowa State was the place she should do gymnastics. Well, I think it's going to all turn out beautifully anyway for you, and certainly a great experience, hopefully, for you. We'll be coming back to campus in September and being inducted into the Iowa State Athletics Hall of Fame, and uh, we look forward very much to having you back. You're very deserving of that, and congratulations, and thanks so much for taking some time today to just share a few stories. We really look forward to seeing you. Thanks a lot, and 